something just fell from the ceiling and I was trying to figure out what the heck it was. It's just a rat. <laughs> it's fine. Uh. Sit back, it's time to get groovy. Question, do you remember that movie? Welcome to the podcast. I am the third Alejandro Rosa on IMDb. And I'm Steve Johnston, and I'm not on IMDb. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we are going back to my birth year. We're going to 1979. I don't know anything about 1979, other than the fact that I was born there. This film that we're going to watch today, I know nothing about. And that pleases me immensely. <laughs> this film was picked by Steven. And uh, I didn't know anything about it. We, did, we, we decided to take turns with this sort of thing, so I didn't do any research. I honestly just sat down and watched it. I had never heard of this film. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know who was in it. And so it was very surprising when I sat down to watch it. Hopefully in a good way, though. Listen to find out. Steve, tell us about it. Why this film? And what's your history with this film? Well, I think we need to start by actually mentioning that we are watching Disney's 1979 sci-fi classic, The Black Hole. I don't think you'd mentioned the title yet. No, I was saving that. Very good. This is one that stuck in my mind, and it got started in a very unlikely way. I first found out about this movie not at the video store, not through friends or anything like that, but through a collectible sticker book. Do you remember those from the 80s? I don't think I do. They looked kind of like coloring books. They were themed, and you opened them up, and there would be uh, stories or background info on whatever subject the book happened to be about. Uh, except on every page, there were these giant square, uh, giant blank white squares. And the idea was is that you went out and you purchased a pack of stickers. You'd open up the pack, you wouldn't have any idea what was inside, and your goal was to find all of the stickers to fill in all of the pages of the book. And I happened to be over at a friend's house, and there happened to have the Black Hole sticker book. Flipping through it, took an interest in what I saw. There were a few images that stood out to me. There was a, a sticker that had a close-up of the rather evil-looking red robot Maximilian. There was a picture of uh, the Cygnus itself. I believe it was actually a two-sticker where you had to get part A and part B, and that's the only way you could see the full picture of the ship, which was kind of cool. And then there was one of probably the most iconic scene from this movie, and that is the meteor rolling down the central corridor of the ship while our main characters run across the bridge in the foreground. That was a great shot. Yeah, that was, that was yes. really cool. If, if you remember one shot from this movie, that's the one to remember. That's And then, you know, as I often do, browsing through the video store, happened across, oh, the black hole, and decided to rent it. You know, younger version of me, absolutely loved it. Uh, watched it a few times. And then it kind of, you know, fell by the wayside, and I hadn't watched it in, you know, a good 25 plus years. How do we... Actually, I think this might be one of the easier films to summarize. I actually wanted to talk just a little bit about the history of the production before we got into the plot summary. Okay. This movie has its start uh, back in the early 70s, when disaster movies like The Poseidon Adventure and Towering Inferno were all the rage. And just like today, when a studio has a hit movie, all the other studios go, I want some of that action too. Yeah, let's make something like that. 
Bob Barbash and Richard Landau approached Disney with a proposal, and that was just a disaster movie set in space. And Disney said, okay, sounds pretty good. Show me what you've got. And they worked on a script titled Space Station One originally, and it was uh, similar to the Poseidon Adventure. There was going to be a large cast, large groups of characters, uh, families were going to be involved, so there'd be children on there as well. And for some reason, they were trying to escape the space station. The producer looked at it and thought, okay, this isn't so bad. It could use a little work, so we called in someone to do a little, little bit of rewriting. And then the project got shelved. In 1975, it got unshelved. It was retitled Space Probe 1. And some more tinkering with the script was done. And then 1977 came along. Do you remember what came out in 1977? Are we going to say Star Wars? We are going to say Star Wars. Yes! And so all of a sudden, interest in, ah, a space movie. We need one of those. We've got one in the works. Let's drag it back out. The final writer involved with the script came on board, uh, did a complete restructuring, and it went from this vast cast of characters down to just the single crew of one spaceship stumbling across a derelict other spaceship and having a, uh, an adventure in the proximity of a black hole. And I think in this case, going through all of these revisions actually helped the movie. Because I think that with the tighter cast and the tighter story that came out of it, you ended up with a better film. If it had been something grand and, oh, we've got, you know, dozens upon dozens of people that we're trying to keep track of, it would not have had the same effect. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. Uh, having watched the movie, I thought it was actually very effective to have a very small group of people. I don't know, it, just, it was very focused, I guess, is the word I would look for. Yes, that's a good word for it. There is something else I wanted to mention about the uh, director, Gary Nelson. He was invited to direct. He read the script and then said, eh, no thanks, not interested. And Disney said, well, in, come by the studio, just come check out the artwork that Mr. Peter Ellenshaw has put together. He's the one who did all of the matte paintings. He saw the matte paintings and some of the miniature work that had been done and said, I'm in, I'll direct. One of the things that I wrote in my note was models. These look like yes. miniatures. Yes. And, and I mean, talk about, I mean, that's very much the Star Wars game. There's something about those models of that time period, and not just the models, but the way they are filmed. Yes. That for some reason, it just works. And it still works. The same way that I can watch Star Wars now and be like, wow, those scenes with the models really work. And this film when they cut to space shots, it looks great. It, it just does. looks great. Uh, how they're lit, how, how they move, it's perfect. It's funny you should bring up how they move. Disney actually contacted Industrial Light and Magic saying, hey, can we use the setup that you use to shoot your miniature spaceships? Because we're doing a space movie too. Uh, ILM said, yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, it was going to be ridiculously expensive for Disney to rent the equipment, and it was not going to be available on the schedule that they wanted. And so Disney did what studios in that position would do and say, okay, if we can't borrow yours, we'll make our own. This movie is actually the one uh, responsible for the development of the automated camera effects system, ACES, which I, I have to admit I didn't do a whole bunch of research on, but from the little I did do... Perfect. It involves 
computer-controlled movement of the cameras so that the motion of the camera can be replicated exactly again and again and again. And what this allows you to do is it allows you to take a shot of the actors on a stage, a shot of a matte painting for the background, a shot of a miniature to be, you know, kind of superimposed in between the two, and the, the motion of the camera is fluid enough and matches so that when you marry all three of them together, you have motion and it looks good. All right. It's time for the two-minute synopsis or the one-minute synopsis or the 30-second synopsis. I could give one, but you've watched this movie more. Yep. If you were trying to describe this to me before I'd watched it, what would you tell me this movie's about? Are we going for the 30-second or the two-minute synopsis? Let's go for 30 seconds. We can't count on people to stay in, in here that long. Based on my history, you could tell me any length of time. I will probably run long. <laughs> <laughs> so 30 seconds on the clock 30 seconds. and go. I would tell you that this story focuses on the crew of the USS Palomino, a deep space exploratory ship on its way back to Earth, when it happens across a derelict spaceship called the USS Cygnus that has been lost for 20 years. Boarding the Cygnus, they find a sole survivor aboard who tells them that the rest of the crew evacuated the ship years ago when it ran into a meteor storm. However, upon wandering around the ship, they find that the, uh, the sole survivor, the good doctor Hans Reinhardt, might not be telling the truth. Turns out that he has been sitting at the edge of this black hole for the last 20 years and figures that he can actually fly his ship through it. And that is exactly what he attempts to do, despite the protests of the other crew. That's pretty much a good summary of it. It's it's nutshell. We have one crew who stumbles on a black hole and sees that there's a spaceship there and there's a dude in it. And so now it's just him and a bunch of robots that he said he made. And then things get weird. Steven, who is in this cast? For its time, this was a cast of big names. Where should we start? Norman Bates. You got to start at Norman Bates. Then we'll start with Norman Bates, Mr. Anthony Perkins, playing Dr. Alex Durant. Love that. That was the first, my first note was like, oh my God, it's Norman Bates. <laughs> He's gone from psycho to sycophant. And there was a couple of other actors who... I don't know their names, but I recognize their faces, as in actors I saw in movies many years later. There was Robert Forster, who played Captain Dan Holland. Uh, his was a name that I did not uh, recognize. You might know him from Jackie Brown. He actually got a Best Supporting Actor nomination for that movie out in 1997. Oh, okay. Then you got start getting into the more recognizable names, uh, at least from my perspective. Uh, you've got Ernest Borgnine, who plays Harry Booth, the reporter on board the Palomino. He has been in everything. Okay, maybe not quite everything, but uh, he has been in a lot. Got a best actor for his role as the titular Marty from the movie Marty in 1955. <laughs> um, that was kind of the, the award-winning uh, title that was attached to his name. I know him from Airwolf, Wow. Don't know if you remember Airwolf. I do remember Airwolf, yes. And then he was McHale in the original McHale's Navy TV series. Airwolf was the show about the helicopter, right? Yes. Did you know that a young Brian Cranston was actually on Airwolf? I did not know that, no. Yeah, he's got, I think he was in one episode. Then we get into uh, the last two human characters. 
Uh, you have Yvette Mimo playing Dr. Kate McRae. I know her from George Powell's 1960 version of The Time Machine. She also starred in Where the Boys Are, which I, I've heard the title, but I'm afraid I have not seen. Did you know her from anywhere in particular? Not even remotely. Of course, Anthony Perkins I knew. I knew Robert Forster. Yep. Joseph Bottoms, because he's just an actor who's been in so much, right? I did not know Maximilian Schell, who played ah. uh, Dr. Hans Reinhardt. I didn't know him. He looked like one of those actors that I would recognize, but I, I couldn't tell you from where. I think if you had been born you know, 20 years earlier, you would definitely recognize him. He won the Academy Award for Best Actor for his role in Judgment at Nuremberg. Oh. Multiple other award nominations over the years, has done numerous films and television series work. I actually know him from a 1968 movie called Krakatoa, East of Java, uh, which is a fun little adventure disaster movie. So not only are we learning things about this random film from Disney from the late, late 70s, we're also learning that Stephen is well-versed in 1960s films. For some reason, yes. <laughs> I'm well-versed in 1990s films, but that's because I was there. You have a weird knowledge of the 60s as far as film goes. What's that about? I, I think I can blame my parents for that. You absolutely probably can, yes. I do have a couple of stories regarding casting. Gary Nelson, the director, had finished work on a TV drama miniseries called Washington Behind Closed Doors. And in that series, uh, one of the stars was Jason Robards. Robards had worked with Shell. Shell was contacted saying, hey, we would love for you to play Dr. Hans Reinhardt in this movie. Shell apparently read the script and behind the scenes wasn't interested, but thought that Jason Robards would be pretty good. So he contacted Gary Nelson and said, fly out to Vienna, come talk to me. Gary Nelson did. And once he got there, met with Maximilian, and the uh, the ruse was revealed. Maximilian said, oh, you know, there is this other actor, uh, Jason Robards. Uh, he was in this miniseries called Washington Behind Closed Doors. Have you seen it? And Gary Nelson said, oh, yeah, I've seen it. I directed it. At which point, <laughs> Maximilian Schell got a look of complete and utter shock over his face, stepped forward, gave Gary Nelson a big hug, kissed him on the lips, and said, I will do your movie. <laughs> The other interesting tidbit is the role of Dr. Kate McRae, because Gary Nelson had an actress in mind for her before Yvette Mimo. But Disney took a look at who he was suggesting and said, absolutely not. We cannot have someone with a weird name like Sigourney Weaver in one of our movies. <laughs> Let's see, the, the two non-human characters. Vincent was voiced by Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell is another one of those actors who has been in everything most notably for me, Poseidon Adventure and Bedknobs and Broomsticks, another Disney film from the early 70s. And he played a little robot who was very good at quoting philosophy, which I found really funny. I loved it. <laughs> it's so interesting that the, the character of Vincent, you look at him and he looks like a Disney robot. Yes. He's kind of cute. He's got big googly eyes and he's, little, he's very round and he looks like a little floating thing. But then when he talks, he's like kind of sarcastic. He quotes, you know, Cicero. I mean, it was just like, what is this character? But it was enjoyable. And then the other voiced character that we meet is Bob, who is a, an older model of uh, Vincent's type of robot. And he was voiced by Slim Pickens. 
It's the only character in the film who is Southern for some reason. Yes. It was just odd. It was like this robot that looks like it's been beat up and abused, which it was. And uh, and he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm Ron Bob. I'm going to tell you how to do this because that's how we're going to do. And you're like, what is this? <laughs> Why? Whereas Vincent is so proper and, you know, this is a death ship. That's right. A great line. Bob had some depth. He did. What do you want to get into next? Because thankfully, that is like the entirety of the cast. It's only about seven, eight people. I mean, what we've just said, that's the film, folks. Like, there's a bunch of stuff in the middle, but it's all about the same thing. There is Maximilian, who is a terrifying-looking robot. Yes! Who belongs to the Doctor, who the Doctor created, and who definitely it looks like a killing machine. And then you have these other kind of clearly people in robot outfits... Walking yes. oddly with, with yeah. laser guns. And and I mean, it, it was cool, though. I, I found myself like really entertained by the whole thing. I don't know. I thought that, oh, I'm going to watch this sci-fi film from 1979. But I was like, I thought, I don't know. This is going to be maybe this will be a little lame. And I didn't actually find it lame. I found Excellent. it interesting. I thought it was neat. I thought the characters were fun. Again, it was actors that I'd seen many times before. I found the um, zero gravity was something that really stuck out to me. Uh, they, they do it a lot on the, um, what's the name of this ship? Uh, the smaller ships, the Palomino. That's right. When they establish the fact that they're in space, they have these interesting scenes where there's no gravity on the ship, so they're moving around. And, and it was very interestingly filmed the way they made that work. Yes. But they brought up uh, the Event Horizon, which anybody who's done science and you know space stuff would know. But in case anybody doesn't, a black hole surface is called the event horizon, which defines the boundary where the velocity needed to escape exceeds the speed of light. And they say they're on the event horizon. So they're right on the surface of the black hole. They're not in the black hole. I watched a movie like this in the late 90s. Yes. Called the event horizon. Yep. And, it, and the more I watched this film, the more I was like, that movie is a lot like this movie. They changed a few things. But it's very similar. The concept is very similar. And then they went way darker and way scarier with it. <laughs> is there a connection between these two films? I actually don't know the answer to that. Darn it, Stephen. This has been bothering me all day. I'm sorry to say that Event Horizon is one of those movies that I know about, know some of the key plot points, but have never actually watched. And it did not pop up in your research? Uh, no, it did not. The, the movie that popped up in my research, oddly enough, was Interstellar, because there was talk of doing either a reboot or a sequel, but the script that someone had put together was very, very close to Interstellar, and so they decided, now we're just not going to bother. Things that I loved about this movie. Oh, yes. Let's, let's yes. just go with that, all right? Yep. The use of ESP. Our doctor, Dr. Kate, it wasn't even just that they said she has ESP. Right? That would have been interesting enough. You're like, okay, uh, sure, let's go with that. What does that have to do with anything? There was a moment where Vincent, the robot, was outside of the ship trying to fix something. Yep. And they turned to her because he wasn't, there was a problem with communication. And they were like, Kate, use your ESP to communicate with Vincent. And I'm sitting there going, was I listening? Did they just say use ESP to communicate with the robot? Yes, you heard that correctly. She has a telepathic link with the robot. I love that. Then there were other robots, red robots, black robots. There were the people robots. 
that looked like people wearing robes. Yep. But their faces were like glass, like shiny visor. Yep. That was weird, but it was effective. One of the scenes I love is where Harry Booth comes into the, the garden section and he gets up close and personal with one of the uh, the drones. He's very close to the, the visor on the front. And there's a nice shot, which is just all robot drone head with his reflection in it. And he's kind of looking and going, can you talk? No, I suppose not. That would be weird if you could talk. Again, it worked, right? It gave us that kind of like, there's something going on here that we don't understand. Yes. I, I truly thought it was effective. Let me ask you, while we are on the topic of the drones, the reveal, the twist. Yes. Did you see it coming? And did you like it? I mean, I wasn't shocked. Okay. In the film, the doctor says that everyone left the ship. And then we come to find out that he sort of turned them all into robots. Would we call that an android? Was that actually accurate? Or is that an android a robot that just looks like a human? Oh, the, the sci-fi fans will have us on I was a just thinking dick that. if we don't get Let's that right. Let's just say so we don't know. We, we're not sure. He took people and turned them into part people, part robot, mostly robot. Yes. And I was not shocked because they already look like people. I suppose that is a bit of a getaway, yeah. <laughs> Giveaway, yeah. And also they had a uh, what appeared to be a funeral scene. Yes. Which was weird with the people with the visors. They all lined up in a very ceremonial way and shot someone into space. At some point in the film, they send Vincent to like a robot hangout, which is funny because I've been watching The Mandalorian and they had a very similar scene. They had a they had a robot bar, actually. And I was like, since when do robots go to bars? Since and 1979. So, apparently. And so they were hanging out and playing games and, you know, cracking wise. I don't know what the robots were doing. But that's when we saw like a beat up version of Vincent that ended up being a southern man named Bob. Unsurprisingly, everything goes haywire. Things are discovered. People start racing to get off the ship. The doctor has decided he's going to fly the ship right into the uh, black hole. And in the process, we have what I can only describe as an epic robot battle between Vincent and Maximilian. And the thing that I need to point out, Maximilian looks like a killing machine. And Vincent looks like if Olaf from Frozen was a robot with like better vocabulary. So it was very confusing to have this battle because he doesn't look like he's a fighting robot. And so here he is just beating the hell out of this like killing machine. They made this battle that went on for a while really intense. But don't worry, because Vincent has his moment where he like shoves the thing into Maximilian and then just starts drilling into him until he dies. <laughs> if you can think of Anakin and Obi-Wan having their big giant battle. But then again, imagine it's a killing machine robot and Olaf the robot with a lot of dramatic music. And I won't say I didn't enjoy it, because I did. I, I, I thought it was a little ridiculous, but I was like, you know what? I want to see what these two do. I want to see who rips the other <laughs> one's heads off. I, I just want to know. I also liked that our main villain died by what appeared to be a large screen TV. Yes. And there was something very subtle in this scene, and I'm curious if you noticed it. I bet I didn't. The big screen falls on him. He is now 
pinned underneath it. He calls out for help. The first person he calls out to help for is Maximilian, who kind of turns and looks at him just as the elevator doors close, so he's out of the picture. But then we get a shot of two of the drones. The people who have been turned into robots. Yes. With the visors. And he calls out to them for help. And if you notice, it is very subtle, but there is a shot of two drones. They very slightly turn as if they're looking at each other, as if to say, should we? And then they just turn back and look straight forward like they're programmed to do. I missed that when I was younger. That is a detail that I only noticed during the rewatch. I loved that. We're going to get to the end bit because that was its own thing. Yes. Realizing the ship is slowly getting destroyed as it tries to go into the black hole, there is a probe ship, smaller ship, connected to it. And so our heroes make their way towards it. Get in it! Only to discover that it's been pre-programmed to fly through the black hole, so they are going in, like it or not. In the script, as they were shooting the movie, they did not know how they were going to end it. According to the director, if you turn to the last page of the script, it just said, they enter the black hole. First thing that they do is they start spinning. Spinning and spinning and spinning almost too long. And all they can do is hear their thoughts, which is just making them lose it. Uh, And one of the characters actually screams during it, which I thought was very realistic. Because if that was happening to me, I'd start screaming too. (laughs) And then they go through that. And then it gets even weirder. Because then suddenly we're in what looks like some kind of burning hellscape. Yep. And then the doctor and Maximilian, his mur- murder robot, suddenly seem to come together in the sky. And then it looks for a split second like they're going to kiss. But then it turns out that they suddenly become one. Yep. And then you see the drones around fire and there's burning and it's like, okay, what's going on here? The joke, and I cannot take credit for this one, is that Dr. Hans Reinhardt is now trapped inside a Maximilian shell. Sorry. And then it gets weird again. And then we go into what I can only describe as a crystal hallway that somebody is flying through. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, this looks very reminiscent of Superman. But all right, let's let's see it. Like some of the kind of special effects they used in, in the original Superman, you know, that kind of thing. Or probably Superman 2, more, more, more than likely. Mm, yes, yeah. You know, it's like, are we in Krypton now? And they get through the, the black hole, folks, and they're alive. And then I sat there and I went, well, now what? Because there's like three of you. You have like no food. And you're on the other side of a black hole. And they victoriously lead towards what may have been a planet or a moon. I wasn't sure. It's supposed to be a planet, and the way it's shot, the planet is in front of the star that it orbits, which is why you get kind of the the nice golden halo effect going on. Credits. Let me ask you, that ending sequence, starting with the good doctor drifting through space and merging with his murder robot, what did you think you were looking at? I wasn't very sure what I was looking at. Again, there was a real brief moment where I thought he was going to kiss the robot. I don't know what I was looking at. I, I okay. won't lie. I was like, I, if there's a reference here, I'm not getting it. I'm just confused. Think in very broad terms. Nothing too specific. You're not looking for references or anything like that. Just okay. what did this imagery kind of evoke? And what, what, what sort of picture did it paint? Because you've got the murder robot standing on this landscape that's on fire and then you've got this crystal hallway with an angelic figure flying through it i don't know (laughs) what did it invoke for you please help younger me felt very strongly that this was some sort of depiction of heaven and hell hans reinhardt 
Okay, being I can see condemned that. Condemned to hell, and then the rest of the crew being, you know, on the the heavenly side. Uh, and it turns out that younger me was right. That is actually the sort of imagery they were going for when they shot this sequence. We have come to the other side of the black hole, and we have completed this film. Steve, what do, what do you think years later, watching it again? Does this film hold up for you? There is a word that I came across uh, in my research that I think sums the movie up for me quite well, and that is inconsistent. There are moments where I had an absolute feeling of dread when the, the crew of the Palomino is kind of wandering around the Cygnus, and then all of, a, all of a sudden, the door slides up and Maximilian's right there with his single red eye. That's terrifying. Juxtapose that with, oh, it's a robot bar, and Vincent's gonna rotate around while doing sharpshooting. It's like, okay, but what tone are we going for here? This was Disney's first PG film. They did that on purpose. They wanted the higher rating so that older audiences would go, oh, okay, it's not just a Disney kids flick. I think they had a little bit of trouble fully breaking into the, the more mature audience side of things. Because you've got Bob and Vincent, who are very, very cute robots. And then you've got Maximilian, who is a red murder machine. Yeah, it's true. You've got what is technically a very horrific death scene in which Maximilian just kind of drills a hole through one of our doctors. And then Vincent drills a hole through Maximilian. Justice. But again, it was like Olaf and Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so tonally, it kind of went back and forth for me. The bit that held up the most, I've got to say, are the, the special effects and the visuals. Keeping in mind that it is 1979, this film looks gorgeous. I agree. I agree. I love the miniature work. The Cygnus is one of my favorite spaceships in like the sci-fi canon. I actually had a note I was going to bring up that for the Cygnus, there were two 12-foot-long models built for shooting purposes, one of which was destroyed as part of the movie as it flies into the black hole and gets torn apart, and the other one actually sat on the back lot for a while, and then a forklift driver accidentally backed into it and smashed it. <laughs> The model work is phenomenal. The scene very early on where the Palomino does its two passes along the Cygnus, the first time they just turn on a spotlight and you just get this dot of light that traces over the hull of the ship. And then on the way back, they do it again. And as they come across the back of the ship, all of a sudden, the lights turn on. Yeah, that was creepy as heck. I loved that. That, that is one of my favorite scenes. I think you're right. I think there there was a mix of tone in this film. I think they were, they they seemed like they were going one way, but they didn't fully commit. Could have been a much scarier film. It could have been more intense. It looked like they were going that way, and then they pulled back for some reason. And then they dive right back into it by going, oh, hey, look, hell. So do you still like this film? I still love this film. I'm going to quote the director that this is not a great movie, not some outstanding movie, but a pretty good movie that will, no matter what, stick around for a long time. You know, it, it has its flaws, but I still love it. As a first-time viewer who had never seen this movie before or heard of it, how about you? What did you think? You know, I, I thought that I would have a lot more complaints about it, but I genuinely didn't. Like, it's not, it's not Star Wars, uh, but what is? Right. And I mean, even, you know, if you really want to get into it, you know, Star Wars isn't perfect either, but I actually enjoyed it. There was a certain philosophical side to it that was almost a little heavy handed where I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. 
Sure. But I was bought into it. I, I enjoyed the journey. You know, like I said, I wasn't super surprised by anything, but I still enjoyed it as a film. It was a well put together 1979 sci-fi film. It was it was a good ride. The film was actually nominated for two Academy Awards. Unfortunately, it did not win either of them. Uh, it was nominated for Best Cinematography and Lost to Apocalypse Now. Well, yeah. And then it was nominated for Best Visual Effects, which it lost to Alien. Nobody wants to watch a film with some weird name like Sigourney Weaver. Nah. And she was never heard from again. <laughs> I think we have reached the end, my friend. I think so. I think we have gone through, come out the other side. Yep. And we did not make out with a robot or turn no. into a robot in a hellscape. We went through the crystal hallway and everyone's waiting for us at the other side. For anybody who is interested in watching this film, one of the interesting things about Disney Plus is that they've been able to put in a lot of their old catalog. So just like our last film, Splash, it's on Disney Plus. Folks, thank you so much for listening to this trip back to 1979 sci-fi. We hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. <laughs> and we will catch you next time with whatever we decide to watch next. I do believe it is your turn to pick, sir. You're absolutely right. It is. And I will find something. I can't say that I'm going to find something this weird, but I will find something. Very good. Sit back, it's time to get groovy. Question, do you remember that movie? 